Matthew 6, 9 to 15 says, uh, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. We words we know full well now. Since the beginning of the year, we've been going through this series on praying. Oh God. We've been focusing on this, not the Lord's Prayer, but we've called it the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer that embeds the heart of a disciple into the very core of our lives as Christians, which is our prayer life. Prayer life is a central core of who we are. If we're not praying, then we're struggling. Yes? If we're not communing with God, then our life support is cut off. Remember that our, our, our life source is intimacy. It's intimacy with God. And, we, are, and we, are, we need to be communing with God. And we've been looking at this structure that Jesus gave us to help us understand a little bit about how our prayer life should be structured. This is not a, this is how you do it, A, B, C, D. You do it every time. You just repeat words but it gives us a structure that helps us to understand how the kingdom operates and what our role is in it. So that's my goal. Um, when we receive Christ, we can't really choose different parts of him or his offer. You know, if you get a new car, you can, you can add extras, can't you? I believe. Never had a new car. I wish I had a little car. You can add extras, can't you? You can have the basic model, but you can have sat-nav, you can have Bluetooth, you know, you can have a massager on your back. You've seen that new Audi that's got a massager in the back of the back seat? So you can put your feet up against the back seat and get your feet massaged. You seen that? Andro- Andro- not on drive, no. Not the same time. No. Uh, you get to pick your options. Jesus didn't really give us that option when he came and died on the cross for us. He died to save us, to make his disciples who follow him. And um, this quote I showed last week from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. To be a Christian by name and not by nature is unfounded in the New Testament scriptures. You can't pick and choose Jesus. If you're doing that, really, then there's something, I think, there's something wrong. His grace is amazing, his love is amazing. But what we're supposed to be is disciples, where our lives are submitted to him. And in this prayer, what this prayer does, I believe, just recapping, because it's been a while since we spoke about it, this prayer encapsulates this, this sense that, that he is number one and I'm his follower. So it begins with, with, with praise, hallowed be your name. It starts with our father, which means it's an intimacy, it's a relationship. It's not, a, it's not a magic spell. It's not something that we instigate in times of trouble. It's an intimate relationship. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We begin with praise. He is lifted up first. So even though we're going through a trial and a battle over victor, even in that, our first, our first recourse is praising the name of Jesus. Because he never changes. And he is always worthy of praise. Amen? Your kingdom come, that means we're pursuing his aims. I am born into the kingdom to pursue God's aims and not mine. 
Yes? It's a bit of an issue, especially in the Western church maybe, where you see it looks, looks like some church leaders are building their own kingdom. I mean, I don't, you don't know the hearts of people, but I'm perhaps, I perhaps shouldn't say that. But we're pursuing his aims. It's his kingdom that's coming. It is coming, not mine. I'm not building my kingdom. And your will be done. We're prioritizing his way. God, what do you want to do with my life? I pray his will be done over my life, over Hazel's life, over Becca, over Dan, over Joe. God, I want your will to be done, not mine. Because if I go my way, it is not going to work. Do we understand that? I'm not saying it might not work. It might work. It will not work. If I choose my way. Jesus said, you build your house on sand. In other words, it's not him. It's going to fall down. It's going to fall down. Because there will be winds and waves. And you think, right now, everything's good. I've got everything I need. I can do my own thing. It won't last when the storm comes. We build a house on the rock. Amen? I wish I could see. Oh, there's a, there is. Oh, okay. There is. Sorry, there is a bit of animation. It's not going to work, is it? Anyway. We then come to the second half of the prayer. Is really a prayer for ourselves, but it, in many ways, as well, it's 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 as in finding our fulfilment in life itself, which is based on Jesus. It's how do, I, how do I actively and pursue my involvement in the first half? What do I need to praise him, to pursue his aims and to pursue his ways? I need daily bread. I need the word of God. Every day, it prepares my resources. You know, we need what he brings us. We need what he has for us in his word and in our supplies. We're going to talk about forgiveness, which positions my attitude. My attitude is this, he's always right, I'm not. He never has to say sorry to me. Do we get that? How many relationships are you in where you can say, this person never has to say sorry to me, he never has to say sorry. It's me that has to repent. It's me that has to change. You, you might think, Eric, but okay. <laughs> Sonia's, I know how blessed Sonia is, it's amazing. Yeah, one. okay, okay, okay. Uh, but I position my attitude. I need to walk with the forgiveness of God. I need to walk in forgiveness towards others. I talk about today. Temptation is preempting my responses, which we'll talk about um, when we come to finish off in a couple of weeks. So the first half of this prayer is about my, me voicing my voice, impacting the spiritual realm, which, which where battles are fought. And darkness is defeated. The second part I see as my personal prayers of preparedness to take part in delivering the first part of that prayer. And I'm to go out into the day ready to see the kingdom come. A disciple who has these areas covered, these bottom three areas covered, is effective in engaging with the kingdom of God. If I'm, if I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, his will, but I'm not getting a daily bread, I'm not getting his word into me, then I'm ineffective when it comes to battling for the kingdom. If my attitudes are wrong, if I carry arrogance or pride, I'm not going to be able to take part in the kingdom coming, his will being done. If I'm f- always falling to temptation, 
when the battle comes. I'm going to be ineffective in pursuing his aims and prioritising his way. Um, I hope that makes uh, sense to you. I'm calling this second part, this forgiveness, the second part of the bottom half. It's about checking our attitudes. Um, Jesus is modelling as a prayer that he never had to pray. We understand that, don't we? Jesus never had to say, forgive me my sins. Um, but I, I imagine he spent a lot of time saying, forgive those who trespass against me. And an attitude, in fact, ultimately, he said it, didn't he? Right at the very end, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. But I always have this picture, you know, of like Jesus walking around the world he created and seeing the mess people were making of it and thinking, this is my world. What are you doing? It's my world. I always, I've said it before, but it strikes, it really strikes me in, in the, before the chief priests, and that servant of the chief priest slaps Jesus in the face. I mean, who is that man? He's not even the high priest who compared to Jesus is nothing. He's, he's the servant of the high priest and he goes up to the Son of God, the creator of the universe, slaps him. Who do you think you are? You know what? If I had 12 leaders of angels waiting, that is a good time to say, show him, show this guy what you can do. But he walks with a forgiving attitude that is astounding. And his challenge to you and me as disciples is, I want you to walk with that attitude. I want you to walk with that same attitude. And if you don't think that's scary, then you don't understand it. Because we all know how hard it is to forgive. I spoke last week on the forgiveness of God towards us. And, um, and I think that's so important that we keep short accounts before God. If you mess up, ask for forgiveness. Don't get involved in, get involved in theological debates about, well, I'm already forgiven. There's no condemnation. Look, this is a relationship. If you upset the one that you, you love, you come before them and say, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just a good thing to do, isn't it? It's especially a good thing to do with God because sin gets in the way of our relationship with him and we keep short accounts. Most of us know that. For many of us, the biggest issue actually is shame. Going to God again, I've messed up again. And the enemy will say to you, you know, you can't do this. You can't keep doing this. God's not going to keep forgiving you. God's not going to keep letting this go. And we say, and we end up slunking away thinking, I'm, a, I'm, I'm dirty, I'm unacceptable. That's a lie as well. There is grace. We go to the throne, to his throne, where we find grace every time. He is a forgiving God. Are we thankful for that? He's a forgiving God. He forgave all our sin. He forgave, he forgave the, the issue of sin in our lives. And he forgives the ongoing sins that we have uh, before us. And, but I, I do think it's impossible to overestimate the enormity and sheer miraculous nature of that forgiveness that we live in every day. You cannot overestimate it. And I think we can become a bit blasé about it. We can't overestimate it. I agree with the maxim that you hear. You can't understand the love of God until you fully grasp the holiness of God. When you realise how holy God is, that he is willing to allow me close to him. 
because I would just mess him up. I come with my shame, my guilt and my sin. And yet he draws me to himself. That he has forgiven us is outrageous. And it appears almost ridiculous that this holy God would accept me. From time to time, we've sung a song here that some of you have a problem with. And I understand why. Because the song is called Reckless Love. And I understand why it's an issue for some of us to use words like that. Because how could God be reckless? God is never reckless. And that is true. He's not reckless. But when you listen to the author of that song talking about why he wrote it, you get to understand that he's using exaggeration or hyperbole, if you like, to say, to talk of the outrageous love of God for us. That he, being so holy, would leave 99 sheep that are better than me to go after the one that has fallen down a ditch. What does he need me for? What does he want me for? What do I bring to him? What do I offer him? Absolutely nothing. But he leaves 99 obedient good sheep to go after the one sheep. And it seems ridiculous to do that. Just get yourself another sheep that doesn't wander off. Get yourself another better behaved sheep. You can afford them. He's not short of money or whatever. But he leaves 99 and finds me. And the author of that song uses the word reckless to get across how amazing that is. I've started playing football again. And it hurts. Can you imagine me getting a phone call from Pep Guardiola? You know who he is, anybody? City's shaking their head. Manager of Manchester City. He won the, champion, won, the York, won the Premiership and the FA Cup and the League Cup. This year, he's got a team full of multi-million pounds players. Imagine him ringing me up and say, Dave, I want to sign you on a million pound contract. I want you, Dave. I've seen your right foot. It's like a wand. <laughs> That's what he'd say. I scored... No, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, um, I, want you in, I want you in my midfield for Manchester City. Even I believe that's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. It's never going to happen. Even with a God of wonders, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I would as well. <laughs> that shirt would look good on me. It's unthinkable. It's outrageous. It's a huge risk to the team, to their finances, and to the reputation of Pep Guardiola. It's, it's ridiculous. It's reckless. And he wouldn't do it. Jesus wants me on his team. Hallelujah. He wants me on his team. And that's why he wrote that song called A Reckless Love. I understand that, that, that behind the words, it's hyperbole, it's exaggeration. We do it all the time, even when I preach. We use words to push boundaries, to try and get across a, a, a point. But you know what? He wants me on my team, so much so that he would forgive me my sins to make it possible. Do you understand how amazing that is? Do you understand what it cost him? It cost him his very life. He went and suffered the, the, the pain that I should have suffered 
that I might be forgiven. And every time we go to God, every time I mess up, every time I fail, every time I sin, when I go to God and say, God, have mercy on me, the fact that he does every single time is outrageously wonderful. Do we understand that? Do you understand how amazing that is? Do you understand why we need to get that message to the world, to the people that live outside here, to the people in your work, in your school, in your, in your whatever it is? You've got to get it out. There's forgiveness in Jesus. Do you understand what it costs? Do you understand the depth and the measure of that? Do you understand why Jesus says to you, take up your cross and follow me? Do you understand that? Because of what he has done for us. His love compels us. His love compels us. And the fact is, because of this forgiveness, we will spend eternity with Jesus. Somebody asked me in the week how Victor was, and I found myself writing this. You know what? We need God. And I said, it's either a miracle of healing or it's the miracle of heaven. Let me ask you, which miracle is greater? Which miracle is greater? Now, we are believing and praying for healing because that's our assignment. Our assignment is your kingdom come, your will be done. Our assignment as disciples is to pull the future kingdom into today. Cancer is not of God. Sickness is not of God. Okay, so we go after that and we want to see it, de- we want to see it destroyed in the name of Jesus. But we're li- we are living in a fallen world. We're living, and believe me, Victor will be healed. He will be healed. I believe it will be in this world. But all of us will die of something, and then when we die, we will be healed. And that's the miracle of all, that we're going to go straight into his presence, and there's nothing to stop us. Hallelujah. That is the greatest miracle. I think we have to be kind of careful in the stream that we're in, that we don't underplay this. This is the miracle. Eternity is amazing. It's the fact that we're going to be with Jesus forever. Why? Because he's forgiven our sins. Yeah? You know, you can, you can go to God, you can go to the judgment, you know, however it works. You can stand before God. And you know what? You could have had all the diseases in the world and died with all of them. But if your sins are, if your sins are healed, you go straight into, the, into his presence. Hallelujah. I can go before God and say, God, on earth, all of my sicknesses were healed. Every single one. You touched every single one of them. God will look at the state of our heart and say, I don't know you. Because our soul hasn't been healed. Which is the greatest miracle? I believe healing is in the cross. It is. The greatest miracle is our salvation. That's what I want to get across. I'm not saying that anybody should think we don't go after healing or miraculous provision. I believe that. The central reason of the cross is salvation. But we forget not all his benefits. Right? You need to get that right. Victor can't lose. Hallelujah. He can't lose. And he knows that. He knows that. Jane knows that. You can't lose, can you, Jane? But our assignment, we need to understand this as disciples, our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. So we see somebody sick, we pray for them to be healed in Jesus' name, unless God tells us something else. Is that okay? Where am I? Hang on. you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, 
idolaters, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. As such were some of you. God help us with judgmental attitudes to people. Because as such of them, you can say, you know what, I've never committed adultery. I'm not homosexual. I don't get drunk. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, as such were some of you and me. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. You want some more? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. This is who we are. This is the core. This is the centre. You read the epistle letters. You read the letters to the churches. You find this is what they major on again and again and again. We thank God for the provision. We thank God for healing. You know, but these guys, this is the centre. This is the core. This is what we want to see. Hallelujah. Amen. So now do you understand why this prayer says, forgive us our sins. And in the same way, forgive others who sin against you. You see why Jesus looks at us and says, hey, look what I've given you. Are you going to give it away? Are you going to give it away? Or are you going to keep that bit for yourself but not extend it to other people? One of God's biggest problems is pride. Not for him. Okay. He, has to, he doesn't have a problem with pride. He has a problem with people's pride. He has a problem with that. And one of the issues we have is that we as Christians, we accept this amazing uh, forgiveness into our lives and then somebody comes along and does something to us but we hold a grudge against them and we refuse to forgive them and God looks at that and says, hang on a minute. Hang on one minute. How can you take what I've given you, but you're not willing to extend it to somebody else? Mm -hmm. So right in the heart of this prayer, we're talking about preparing our attitudes. Jesus says, I want you to extend that very attitude I've given to you and take it to other people. And if we don't, we have big problems. When we accept the forgiveness of a pure and holy God, yet refuse to extend forgiveness to one who has hurt us, We are saying, in effect, that I am more holy than God's and those who hurt me are less worthy than me. Both statements could not be more profoundly incorrect. We are not more holy than God's. And the people that hurt us are not um, less worthy than we are. Jesus highlights this whole thing with this amazing parable you know it so well the man who's who owes the king um millions of pounds billions of pounds and you know what you know he was over forgiven have you ever noticed this you ever noticed this servant goes to goes to the king and says be patient with me and i'll pay back everything he said give me a good repayment scheme lower my interest give me 40 years i'll do it 
please have mercy on me. Give me that way out. And he says, the master took pity on him, counseled the debt and let him go. He over forgave him. He went beyond what he wanted him to do. Have you seen that before? He asked for more time to pay, not for the debt to be forgiven. The master forgave him everything. That's the outrageous, dare I say, reckless nature of God's forgiveness. But then, of course, the issue is that that same man found a friend who owed him a fiver. And the man said exactly the same thing. Give me more time. Give me more time. And the man said, no way. You owe me a fiver until you pay it. You're going to prison. Get me my fiver. And when the master heard about this, he was mad. And his retribution came. And that's to show that the debt we have forgiven, we have been forgiven, is way bigger than any debt that can be owed to us by anybody else. Way bigger. We're guilty of cosmic treason. We're guilty of crucifying the creator of the universe. Our sin is the root cause of all of the world's problems, all of our problems. And we are to extend that by having an attitude of forgiveness that we, we are willing to extend to others. And Jesus is really clear about this. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's scary, isn't it? When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. God just doesn't understand prayers from people who go to him for forgiveness. And I'm not speaking, I'm speaking to myself. Go to him for forgiveness while they're not willing to extend that same forgiveness to somebody else. He doesn't make sense to him. And while I don't believe this is saying that you'll lose your salvation, I'm not saying that you stop being a Christian. I'm just saying that the communication between you and God is damaged. It's damaged. It's not flowing freely. You're losing out on the benefits. It's like you're walking back in the ways of of your sinful nature and sin is dealt with and sin is forgiven but we have to go to God and find that in the same way we have to extend that to others and that's why this is such a key component of this prayer a key component of positioning my attitude is to have a forgiving nature it's a forgiving attitude it's not an optional extra in fact it's a command Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It's a command. It's not an optional thing. We have to forgive. But also we have to forgive for our own benefit. And we've heard these things before, haven't we? So many times. Forgiveness is, to be forgiving is a, a... key part of living well people say holding bitterness against someone is like drinking poison yourself and expecting the other person to die we've heard before forgiveness is a choice not a feeling walking in bitterness against someone puts you in prison while they walk free I like this quote from Chris Vallotton 
He says, unforgiveness causes us to waste our lives trying to get even instead of fulfilling our own destiny by walking in our call. It's important we forgive all those who sin against us so we can be free to get on with our own lives. It benefits us to forgive. Having said all that, um, I'm not saying it's easy. It can be really easy for me to stand here and um, say, you've got to forgive, you've got to forgive. And uh, I don't know what you've been through. Uh, but it doesn't matter, you've just got to forgive. Well, we know that's... I've never met a Christian who doesn't realise they have to forgive. And sometimes just telling people they've got to do it. Duh. Yeah. I know. But it's really hard. It's really hard. I thank God I grew up in a loving family. I was never abused, be it physically or sexually or mentally or emotionally. I can't even comprehend what it must be like to be hurt by someone especially someone you're supposed to be able to trust. And many here will have gone through things that I couldn't even begin to understand. And I know people have, and I know people have come through it. And if you're going through something really horrific that you don't know how to forgive, then I can point you towards people in this place who've probably been through similar things and have found a way to forgive. They've found the strength to forgive. And I think they would share their story and their testimony with you. But I just want to say this morning, it begins, the path to forgiveness begins with an understanding of his love for you and the depth and cost of his forgiveness. It begins by us realising that we are not perfect and we deserve judgments, we deserve death for the part that we've played in hurting God, in hurting Jesus, in destroying creation, really the part that we play in that. There's too much at stake to hold on to a feeling that the crime against me is worse than our crime against him. It's a process we need to walk through with the help of others. And then there is grace to enact your choice to forgive. I, was listening, to, I listened to various podcasts and there's one I listened to which is um, it's three quite clever people talking about some cultural issue in the church. Okay, don't know who that was. We'll leave it, sorry. Yes, I know I've missed a call from that person. Thank you very much. <laughs> and this guy was on, and, he, was, and he, was, he helps churches that are dealing with issues of abuse. And, uh, and he made that statement. He said, I've never come across a Christian who doesn't realise they've got to forgive. It's like Christianity 101, right? Yeah. It's like, don't tell me, I know that, I know that. But he's just to share this with you because it might be helpful to understand what forgiveness, what Jesus is asking us to do. And he talks about the three stages of, uh, that people can go through in a, in a restorative process. And I, and I hope this helps. Forget, number one is to forgive. And that's my initiative. The command is to me to forgive. Where I willingly extend to others what Christ has extended um, to me, it's not an option. We live in a real blame culture, don't we, at the moment? And people have, you know, people discover what they've said on some obscure Twitter post 15 years ago, you know, and then it's brought back to, to beat them over the head with. And even when people kind of recant or repent of that, 
is kind of held against them. Uh, we can't live like that as Christians. We don't have that option. We have to forgive. But it's, I understand it's really hard to do that. But that is the command to forgive. It's the command. But the, and the imperative is on me. I have to forgive. And I don't have to wait for an apology. And in many ways it's my initiative because it's actually a response to God as much as it is to the person. Do you understand that? I'm, ex- I'm forgiving them for God, for Jesus' sake. It's actually about my relationship with Jesus that I decide to extend forgiveness to the person because my responsibility is to be Jesus in the situation. And that's why it's not about feelings, it's about a decision. Because all through my life, I make decisions to follow God that I don't always feel like doing. I'm not saying that's easy, but it's not like I'm looking at the person. And some of you need, we might need to forgive people. You can't physically speak to and forgive. You hurt done by people that are no longer in your lives. But it's like, it's like it goes heavenwards to extend towards the person. And saying, God, for your name's sake, I choose to forgive. I love C.S. Lewis's quote that says, don't be so mad about figuring out how you love your neighbour. It says, just decide to love your neighbour and the feelings will follow. And whenever you do something in obedience to God's word, his grace comes and the feelings follow. And I'm not belittling anybody here because I say, I can't imagine what some people have been through. But my responsibility is to forgive and you know when you've forgiven, really, the feelings have come through correctly when you no longer want to see the other person hurt or harmed. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to do anything. It's an attitude, right? It's an inner attitude. And this guy went on to talk about the fact that there are, there are other steps in the process. I think sometimes we get confused thinking we've got to engage. It's not enough. I've got to get to know them again. I've got to torture them again. But he said, actually, there are two more stages that you don't need to go through. There's a reconciliation. And in many ways, that's their initiative, where they come to you and apologize. I'm sorry for what I've done. And it's possible for some sense of reconciliation where you, you shake hands or you say, okay, you tell them, I've forgiven you. It's not a problem. Well, it might be a problem, but you've forgiven them. You see? And that's kind of the initiative of the other person who comes and says, I'm sorry for what I've done. And it's possible then. It needs grace from God as well. It's possible for there to be a reconciliation. Initial forgiveness may not bring you back together, and you might not want to be back together. And that's not the point with what Jesus is getting us to pray. Jesus is talking about our attitude. We have to forgive. But there might be another step, which is reconciliation, where you begin to talk again. There's another step, he said, which is possible but not always wise, and that's restoration. And that takes a miracle of grace because trust has been destroyed and trust needs to be rebuilt and God has to be involved in that. But I just wonder whether some people think, if I forgive, it means, you know, I've got to spend time with this person who hurt me. I've got to go back to how it was before. I believe God is calling us to do that. Forgive. Forgive. Forgive in your heart. Forgive in your attitude towards people. If there's a reconciliation, if that's what you want, okay, God has to help in that. 
if there's restoration to how it was before, that needs wisdom and needs trust to be rebuilt. But that helped me, and I, I just want only if I help people who think if I forgive, it means I've got to go and spend time with that person again or whatever. Jesus is saying, in view of how I have forgiven you, you need to extend that forgiveness to somebody else. Because if he traps your heart, it'll hold you in prison. And you can't afford to think that I'm worthy of the forgiveness of God, but that person isn't worthy of my forgiveness. That's a very dangerous place to be. It will hold you in chains, it will hold me in chains. And when we accept that we are to forgive, our prayers are heard. God hears our prayers again. The relationship is restored. When we don't forgive others and take liberties with God's goodness, our prayers are compromised. It's time to forgive. As Christ has been forgiven. And I understand that that might be a hard path for some people on their own. And we can help. We can point you towards people that can help. People who have been through horrific things for God's sake and for your sake. And for you need to, we need to come to forgiveness. And that's why Jesus put this in the heart of the disciples' prayer. Because he wants us free. Amen? He wants us free. Galatians. For get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I use this prayer because, you know, I don't, I don't always need forgiving. That might sound arrogant. I hope it doesn't. I think um, we know we've sinned, right? If you don't, I think we generally know when we've sinned. And if we don't know we've sinned, we can't be responsible for that anyway, unless the Holy Spirit tells us. And I don't sin as often as I used to. And I thank God for that. And as you get older as a Christian, that, that should be the normal thing, I think. It's more to do with sins of the things I don't do than the things I do. Um, but if I've sinned, I don't wait to the next morning to say this prayer to get forgiveness. I do it straight away. But what I do use this part of the prayer for is really to set my attitude. And like, I don't want to be full of bitterness, rage and anger. Because I can be when I see what's happening in our world. I, I struggle with some things. I really do. I could tell you something now, that, that something in the public sphere that I won't, because I don't want to do this. But it makes me so mad. To the point when I, th- I start thinking, I hope things don't work out for that person. I hope things go really wrong for that person. Nobody here, I'm talking about out in the... But I, you know, Jesus must have had the chance to think that about so many people. These Pharisees, you know, oh, But I think he had a forgiving attitude. The word tolerance has been hijacked by our culture, I think. They've taken it and used it as a stick to beat the church with. We should be more tolerant. Um, but I think that's the attitude Jesus carried. He was tolerant of people. 
wasn't he? I think he was. That woman who was caught in adultery. Okay, he told her not to sin anymore, but he didn't throw a stone at her. People he met all the time that were doing the wrong things, but he, lo- he extended the same love to them. He didn't condone what they did, but he had an attitude where he said, I understand you're a sheep without a shepherd. You need me. You don't need my condemnation. You need my love. And I ask God in this prayer, God, help me to walk through today not being judgmental, not being cynical, not being critical. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Aren't they beautiful? Aren't they beautiful things? They're the kind of things that a forgiving person would carry. Think of the other side. Malice, envy, hatred, discord, jealousy. I don't want to be on that side. I want to have an attitude of forgiveness where I recognise people need my love, not my condemnation. Even the people that really tick me off when they stand for things that I think are damaging our world. They're deceived. They need the love of God. And we don't condone what they do, but we don't condemn them. And that's a challenge, especially for maybe older generation. Forgive me my debts as I forgive those who trespass against me. God, show me if my attitude is wrong towards somebody. Show me if I'm holding unforgiveness towards somebody and help me to put it right. Help me to put it right. If you know you've upset somebody, then go to them and sort it out. Ask them for forgiveness. Put it right, especially if it's in the body of Christ. Because those kind of things become a problem. Forgive us, God. And help us to walk in forgiveness. Why do we forgive others? Because of his great forgiveness for us. Amen. Amen. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, has lavished on us. With that same love I extend to others. Amen. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Just want to give a space, really, for anybody who has realized that they've really taken kind of lightly the forgiveness of God and haven't been extending it out to somebody. And that might have been going on for years. Well, can I lovingly say that for years your prayers have been hindered? I'm not saying that to condemn. I'm saying that because I want us to come out of prison. For years, your prayers have been hindered. Jesus could not be any clearer about it. We can try and unpick it in some way, but he was clear. If we hold unforgiveness in our heart, if we hold bad attitudes in our heart towards people that Jesus died for, And it's time to repent of those. <clears throat> and we can do it right now. You can, you can just do it in the quietness of your own heart right now. You can just say, God, I choose to forgive. I don't feel it. I don't, I don't feel the feelings. But for you, for your sake, I release that person from my malice and my hatred. For my anger. And I trust you to allow the feelings to flow later if they're not flowing now.
I want to I set myself free from this prison of unforgiveness. You can do that right now. And that might be a real step of faith for you. But if it's an obedient step, then the grace of God is going to come. Thank you, Jesus. But if you're sitting there now and you're thinking, this is just too hard. It's really hard to do. Then... I'd encourage you to speak to somebody. Come and speak to me. Or speak to somebody who you trust. So I just need help with this. And we will try and help you. Or we can, we have other people that can help with this. But it's so, so important. It's at the heart of the disciples' prayer. Forgive me my sins. As I forgive those who've sinned against me. In view of his mercy, we let go and release other people and therefore release ourselves from the prison of unforgiveness. Father, we live in a world that's getting increasingly difficult for us. There's so much that we see to challenge us and to cause us to, to, be, to despair, God. But Jesus, you knew what this world would become. You knew the world that you came into, which was also awful. But you came and paid the same price for the generation that you were born in and the generation that we live in right now. Your forgiveness was extended then, your forgiveness is extended now. I pray God help us to walk with a forgiving attitude with an attitude that says this person needs my love more than they need my condemnation. This person needs my prayer more than they need a harangue. God, help us, I pray, to let go of our unforgiveness to people that have hurt us, to let go and allow you to come in your grace and set us free. But most of all today, we thank you, God, that you picked us, that you chose us, that your forgiveness ran so deep and wide that it gathered, it swept me up. And now I am in your presence, pure and holy, because of your great love for us. Help us to extend that same love to others, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.